Our scripture today is from Romans 3, 1 through 8. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. And if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Romans 3, 1 through 8. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through, through everyone. Wait. Let God be true though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. I'd also like to thank Associate Pastor Colin Gingrich for filling in for me last week on such short notice. If you were here last week, you may remember I had a cold and I was worried that my voice wouldn't make it through the sermon, that you wouldn't be able to hear me. And so Colin filled in. He had an excellent sermon on Jonah chapter 1, where he told us that the word comes, the voice of the Lord, and the prophet runs. He reminded us that Jonah heard and he understood the voice of the Lord, but he did not obey. And that got me thinking about all the voices that we hear and that we listen to. And whose voice is the loudest in your life? Whose voice do you listen to? And of course, I'm not only speaking literally, but actually asking who is most influential in your life? What voices determine what you believe and how you live or what you do? It's a very important question, and really it has been a challenge for all humankind from the very beginning. So in the Garden of Eden, when God first created mankind, he spoke to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and they were to fast from one tree so that they could feast on him on his goodness and his glory and his truth forever. But did they listen? It wasn't very long before another voice spoke up in contradiction, in opposition to the voice of God. And the voice of the serpent, the tempter, the deceiver, the enemy, the murderer, the liar, his voice was more compelling. It was louder in their ears than the voice of God. And tragically, they listened to the wrong voice. And they plunged our world into death and darkness and sin. And ever since, the voice of the living God 
is often drowned out by the voice of his enemy. And my question this morning is, how do we resist this? How do we respond differently today? How do we make sure that we listen to the right voice? How do we make sure today that we hear and understand and obey God's voice? So today, it's not my voice that I hope is the loudest in your ears that you listen to, though I do hope you'll be able to hear me at least. But you know, it's my prayer that it will be the voice of God speaking by his spirit through his word to you. I pray that you will hear, that you will believe, and that you will live according to three key truths that we see in our passage this morning. And they are these. The blessing of the word of God, the certainty of the faithfulness of God, and the righteousness of the judgment of God. As we begin, let me remind you of a very simple, basic summary of the book of Romans. We are studying the book of Romans right now. It's our practice here at Proclamation to preach through books of the Bible. So we're making our way through this great book of Romans. And a very simple outline is those three G words, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And we are in this opening section focused on guilt. We'll probably be there at least one more week or two before we have an extended section on grace. But we're in this section on guilt. And in chapter 2, two weeks ago, we saw Paul had argued that outward religious practices, such as circumcision in his day, we might think of baptism today, these outward religious practices, void of a heart of obedience, they are regarded as nothing before God. They simply would make us more guilty in his sight. What really matters is the heart. Have we been born of the Spirit of God? So in Paul's day, to be a Jew was equivalent to being one of God's people, one of his children. And he was telling these Jews that Gentiles, those who were outside the church, they could actually be considered true Jews, true children of God, if by the Spirit's work in them, they were given a new heart and they had faith in Jesus. And so now Paul anticipates this objection that comes up in the start of chapter 3, verse 1. He says, then one advantage has the Jew. If that's true, then is there any advantage in being an ethnic Jew or being physically circumcised, growing up an Israelite? Today we might ask, is there any advantage in being baptized as a child or growing up in the church? And Paul answers in verse 2, much in every way. Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now he'll come back to more advantages in Romans chapter 9. But for now, he focuses on this main one. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And he is talking about the blessing of the word of God. Being able to hear the very voice of the living God. When Paul says the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, he is talking about the scriptures. And he is telling us that the scriptures, the written word of God, this is God's speech. The very oracles of God. Now you might hear some, ta- some say today that Jesus is the word of God. And we can say amen. That is true. You open up the gospel of John chapter 1 and you see Jesus is indeed the word of God. But sometimes people will say that 
to downplay the significance, the value, the authority of the written word of God. And they're not opposed to each other. So we don't have to choose one or the other. Or sometimes people will say that the scriptures contain or they become the word of God. And again, you have to listen for what they're saying because often that is simply an open door to exalt ourselves over the authority of the God-given, God-breathed oracles of God written on the pages of the Bible. Paul tells us the scriptures are the word of God, the voice of God. And this is the advantage, the great blessing that the people of God have. Children, I want to encourage you and remind you today that it is a tremendous blessing to grow up in a Christian home. A tremendous blessing to have a family that loves you and that brings you to worship God together with them every Sunday here at Proclamation. And one of the main reasons that this is a tremendous blessing is because you have access to the very word of God. You can hear it. You can read it. You can know it. So you can hear and you can read and you can know the truth. And you have the opportunity to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ. And beloved, there is no one in heaven or earth who loves you more than Jesus. This is the one that you want to know more than all others. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses was giving God's law, giving the oracles of God to the people of God, and he said this, what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all the laws that I set before you today? He's saying, what a privilege we have as the people of God to have these righteous rules from a righteous God. Near the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 32, he's speaking to the Israelites again, and he says, take to heart all these words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do according to all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. The blessing of the word of God, our very life. The word of God is a tremendous blessing for the believer. We have the opportunity to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ, through his word. Beloved, it is a tremendous blessing to hear and to know that God is our creator, he is our king, and he is our redeemer. And we learn that through the word of God, the written word of God. It's a tremendous blessing to know that there is a creator, that our God is our creator, that he has created every single person formed and fashioned them by his own hand in their mother's womb, that he has created them in his image and for his glory. That brings incredible worth and dignity and value to every person ever created. It's a tremendous blessing to know that God is our king, that he reigns over all, that every event is in his hand, every heart is in his hand, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, that he is subduing all things to himself, restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. It's a tremendous blessing to be able to know that these things are true about God our King. It's also a blessing to hear 
and be confronted with the truth about ourselves. Then we have rebelled against this king. That we are sinners in need of a savior. And it is a tremendous blessing to know that this God is not only our creator and our king, but also our redeemer. That he is kind to undeserving sinners. That he loves those who have rebelled against them so much that he has sent his own son to die in our place to save us from our death and rebellion so that we can be made citizens of his kingdom. Paul's asking, what above all, what above all else was the Jews' privilege? And his simple answer is they were entrusted with the oracles, the word of God. Now that word entrusted, that implies receiving a gift. It implies stewardship. What will we do with the word of God that has been entrusted to our care? It's not simply enough just to have it or to have access to it. Do we read it? Do we hear it? Do we trust it and believe it to be true? Do we treasure it up in our lives? Do we obey it? Do we proclaim it? This is how the word of God will be a blessing not only for us in our own lives, but also for our neighbors as we believe it, as we obey it, and as we proclaim it. God's people, we today have been entrusted with the very word of God. Today, may you hear his voice and be thankful and receive his word, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The blessing of the word of God. Second, we see the certainty of the faithfulness of God. Verse three, Paul goes on. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Some of the Jews were unfaithful in Paul's day. And actually, you can see that all throughout the Old Testament. They did not believe the oracles of God. They did not live according to the oracles of God. Many Jews had rejected Jesus as God's promised Messiah. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. God had made a promise. He had made a covenant with the people of Israel. He would be their God and they would be his people. He would send a Messiah to deliver them from their sin and death. And God sent his own son, Jesus, his promised Messiah. But many did not believe. So the objection is this. Paul, if these Jews, God's chosen people, if they've grown up in the church, if they've grown up with the promises of God, if they are just as guilty as the Gentiles, if they have not been faithful and they're dying in their sins, then isn't God really the one at fault? Isn't God really the one who is being unfaithful? He hasn't been faithful to his promise to save his people. And Paul's answer is, by no means. God forbid, no way, not a chance. That's impossible. And he says they are wrong really on two counts. First, they were in error by matter of principle. Because God is not judged by the actions of men. He's not judged by the failures of people or the fallenness of humankind. That's why Paul says, let God be true, though every man were a liar. Even if every single person was faithless, God is still faithful and true. The certainty of the faithfulness of God. This is good news for us. 
And it is good news for the world. It means there is hope for us. There's hope for everyone. It means that there is a solid rock that we can rely on. That we can depend on. There is someone who is outside of ourselves who is able to always do what is right and just and good and true. Even if everyone else is doing what is wrong. There is one who is not subject to our weaknesses, to our fickleness, our changing moods and seasons, to our failures and our sins. There is one, beloved, that we can always count on. We can always depend on. The certainty of the faithfulness of God is a blessing for us, and it is a blessing for the world. The Jews were wrong in this objection. They were wrong in principle because God is always faithful even if all others are liars. But they, are, they were also wrong in practice. So as a general matter of principle, this can't be true because God is faithful. But also they were wrong in practice. Their objection is, what if some were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful? But notice, it doesn't say all. It doesn't say all. Yes, Some were unfaithful. Some did not believe, but it also means some were faithful. Some did believe. And beloved, that is a miracle of God's grace. A miracle of the grace of God. It is a display of his faithfulness. God kept his promise to save his people. If he hadn't, none would be saved. All people would be condemned. All would be unfaithful. But God has kept his promise. Some were saved and many more will be saved. Even as they are today around the world. In Romans chapter 8, I know you all can't wait till we get to Romans chapter 8. It might be a while. We'll get there, Lord willing. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul says of God, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Beloved, God did not give his son for nothing. He sent his son to save his people from their sins. And it is the certainty of the faithfulness of God that is our hope for salvation. Jesus, when he was walking on the earth, said this, all the Father gives to me will come to me. He said that he will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. This is good news for us. Because we are so often unfaithful. But beloved, your unfaithfulness is powerless to nullify the faithfulness of God. Powerless. Now this is both a comfort and a warning to us. There's a warning in the passage in this way. Paul has said that those Jews who were entrusted with the oracles of God, the promises of God, those who do not believe, those who do not receive Jesus, he says, they will be condemned. They are guilty. And their condemnation is just. And so you do not want to be unfaithful in that way. That kind of unfaithfulness, an unbelief that leads to a rejection of Jesus, a failure to repent and trust in Jesus, that is an unfaithfulness that will lead to eternal condemnation. Today, if you are without Christ and you die without Christ, you will be punished in hell 
forever. And your condemnation, it will be eternal and it will be just. That's the warning. And it's the mercy and the grace of God that you hear that warning today. That's the voice of God calling out to you this very moment to be saved, to trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and be delivered from that condemnation and be given new life. So if that is you today, hear and heed the warning, the voice of God speaking to you today, that you would turn to him and be saved. Jesus came to save you from this condemnation. So may you see his love for you on the cross. He suffered the condemnation that you deserve when he died on the cross for your sin. And God raised him from the dead for his glory and for your salvation. So I would urge you to cry out to God this morning to save you, to help you stop grieving the Father and start loving the Son today, that you would be among the right group of the sum in this passage. Not the sum that are unfaithful unto death and condemnation, but the sum that are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because God keeps his promise to save his people. So hear, listen to the voice of God and be saved. Now to those who are among the saved, there is tremendous comfort in this truth, the certainty of the faithfulness of God. So beloved, hear the voice of the living God to you today. Your ongoing faithlessness, it cannot outweigh, it cannot overturn the faithfulness of your God. This past week, let's take a moment and reflect And be honest, this past week, like every week of your life, you may have struggled to walk by faith. You may have been plagued by doubt. You heard voices other than the voice of your God. And there were times when you listened to those voices instead of the voice of your God. You sinned willfully and knowingly. And this past week, like every week of your life, God has remained faithful. Your God has remained faithful. He will not, and he cannot, and he has not cast you out. And today, right now, he is speaking his truth to you through his spirit, through his word, to comfort you and to strengthen you. Paul says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. This may be hard to hear, but every human being is a liar. We are liars in our words and in our actions. We do not always speak the truth. We don't always speak the whole truth. And we lie in our actions, beloved, when the way we live doesn't reveal the truth about who God is. Everyone is a liar. God alone is is the one who is always true. He never lies in words or actions. God, our beautiful, glorious God, he always acts in accordance with truth and beauty and goodness. And this true one, this faithful one, is our hope. He is our salvation. Listen to his voice. Did you hear what he said in our Pass the Peace passage this morning? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body 
be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. There's a chance he might do it. Are you listening? He will surely do it. Beloved, God will complete the work he has begun in you and in all who are his. He will lose how many? He will lose none. Not a single one. He will not lose you. He will not lose you. He will not let you go. And beloved, he will not lose those you love who are his, who even today are running away. Because he pursues his children, even when they run away, and he is faster than you. He is relentless. You will grow tired and weary, but he will not. You know, we saw last week that Jonah tried to run. And God sent a storm to stop him. The weather was a servant of God's faithfulness in the life of Jonah. God used it as a means of his faithfulness to turn his running child around. You have to come back tonight to see what happened. Are you, this morning, a child of God running from God? Is someone you know and love running from God this morning? If you look over your shoulder, he is right there. And he will catch you. And he will bring you back. God's faithfulness will always prevail over the unfaithfulness of his people. Always. 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 God always wins. He always prevails. He always brings his loved ones safely home. So beloved, this is what this means. Reconciliation and redemption and rejoicing will be complete in your life. There is a grand reunion coming. Yes, us with the triune God but also us with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, including those who have strayed, even those who right now may have closed their hearts to us. And we will rejoice in that. That will bring us great joy. All of God's people together again, finally free from all our sin, all our suffering, finally at peace, hearts full of love and healing with those who we may be estranged from right now. That will bring us great rejoicing. But the greater joy the greater rejoicing will be as we stand in that day and we are just in awe of the faithfulness of our God. We will be in awe of him, his goodness, this one who is the rock of our salvation, his purity and holiness and faithfulness to the very end that we will see, not just believe, but see with our own eyes that all his promises are yes and amen in our Savior Christ Jesus. Amen? We will praise and we will thank his holy name. This leads to our third point, the righteousness of the judgment of God. So Paul goes on and he appeals to that well-known confession from David from Psalm 51. And that's why we used it once again this week. It was supposed to be used last week. We carried it over this week to tie in with our sermon on Romans chapter 3. So David had committed this great sin against Bathsheba, an awful act of abuse. He had committed a great sin against Uriah, murder. He had committed a great sin in his failure to lead and serve the people of Israel. 
But in his humble confession in Psalm 51, he prayed against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, it's not that he had only sinned against God and no others, but only in the sense that he realized his sin was first and foremost an offense against the holy God, against his creator, his king, his redeemer. And he realized that this God was the righteous judge that he would have to answer to. So that's why he then says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now in, the, in Romans 3, in the ESV, it says prevail when you are judged. I think a better translation is triumph when you judge. So it's not that God is judged by man, but God is the one who is just, who is righteous in his judgment. Because that's the next objection that the Jews have. Verse 6. If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? And what's Paul's answer again? By no means. God forbid. No way. Not a chance. To grant this objection would be to deny God. Specifically, it would be to deny that God is our judge. Paul says, for then how could God judge the world? Beloved, our sin is wrong, and it deserves condemnation, even when God is able to bring good from it, even when God in his mercy magnifies his righteousness and his glory in the midst of our sin, that God is able to do that, that he often does that, that does not give us a free pass to sin. It does not free us from the judgment that we deserve. It simply magnifies how good and righteous and beautiful God is. And it should lead us to worship him, not to pursue sin and death. God is the righteous judge of all the earth, and he will do what is right. This is good news for us. And it's good news for the world. It means that God cares about how we treat one another. It means that God will deal with all wickedness and evil and oppression, that it will be judged. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, and he will repay. No one gets away with anything. God will judge even the secret thoughts and intents of the heart. He will right every wrong. He is making all things new. So, beloved, for those of us who trust in Jesus who have seen our every sin, our every wrong has been laid on him, we rejoice in this judgment. We rest in God's judgment. While those who reject Jesus will receive God's righteous judgment. It's interesting to note that Paul doesn't, he doesn't really engage the faulty argument here. He doesn't respond with a a long apologetic defense. Instead, what does he do? He simply proclaims the truth. First, God is judge. And second, your condemnation is just. Look at verse 7 again. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So the objection is this. If God is able to bring glory to his name, to bring good out of evil, 
then why am I still condemned? So Joseph's brothers, they meant evil against him when they sold him into slavery. But God used it for good to bring it about that many people would be saved. But how can God still judge the brothers? Or in Paul's day, the leaders of the people, they crucified and killed the Son of Glory, Jesus Christ himself, God's promised Messiah, by the hands of lawless men. But this was according to God's definite plan, and he raised Jesus from the dead for our salvation. So how can God still judge these men? That's the nature of this objection. Why not do evil that good can come? And beloved, that argument, that way of thinking, is the voice of the devil. It is a lie. It's a loud voice that aims to lead you into wickedness and sin and death. And Paul's answer is simply, those who think like this, those who live like this, those who talk like this, their condemnation is just, period. Their condemnation is just. Sometimes the answer to an objection, the answer to a lie, to attempts to justify sin and error and unbelief is simply proclamation. Proclamation and submission. Clearly state the truth and yield to it. So Paul proclaims the righteousness of the judgment of God. Beloved, today, will you yield? Will you joyfully submit to God as your creator, as your king, as your redeemer? Do you see the beauty, the goodness of that? Whose voice will you listen to? Whose voice is the loudest in your life? Is it the voice of truth, of love, of goodness, a voice that never, ever lies, the voice that will never lead you astray, that will never deceive you, the voice that always speaks with loving intent that can never be frustrated or stopped? Are you listening to the voice of the God who made you? And loves you and gave himself for you. Beloved, I encourage you, I urge you to hear and listen to the voice of your God today. To receive his word as a blessing in your life. To rest in his faithfulness as the certainty of your life. And to know that his judgment is always right. That you have been saved from it through the gift of his own son, Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus, the good shepherd, your risen savior, Your coming king said, you heard it earlier in our service. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Beloved, he is holding you fast and he will always be true to his word. And he will strengthen you to follow him today. To him be the glory. Amen.